mindfulness mode. Your future is behind you, propelling you forward. And your past is in front of you, waiting for you to make peace with it and clear your way. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here in Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Mindful Tribe, today we're going to talk about a topic that we have never talked about before on the show and you might find that interesting because we've talked lots of times about meditation we've talked lots of times about well so many aspects of mindfulness but today we are going to be talking about the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve we've mentioned it you might know about it or you might not stay tuned because this is going to be such an interesting episode and I'm here today with the expert on the vagus nerve I'm here today with Melanie Weller Melanie are you in mindfulness mode today Absolutely. I try. I strive to live in mindfulness mode and not just to have it be a, a segment of my day. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great thing to strive for. And I do the same. So, Melanie, what does mindfulness mean to you? And then we'll get started talking about the vagus nerve. To me, being mindful is really being fully embodied to being like bodyful or like instead of mindset, I actually like the term body set because I think mind is kind of this slippery energy sometimes that's not uh, you know, our minds don't always have our best interest in mind, <laughs> I think. The, the, uh, but your body will always tell you the truth. And to really bring mindfulness into the body, really, uh, it bridges the gap between our conscious and subconscious. And it, like, brings all of our sh shadow elements into light. And it, um, I think, allows for an aspect of flow in our lives that I think we're all seeking in terms of reconciling our inner and outer worlds. Well, it's interesting that you say that about the mind because, you know, I know the mind can bully us quite a bit and it can lie to us quite a bit, tell us things that it thinks will protect us, but that is not necessarily the case. Well, let's get digging in about the vagus nerve. You tell us, what is the vagus nerve? Where does it live? What's it all about? Well, the vagus nerve lives almost everywhere. It is your 10th cranial nerve. We all have 12 of them. And so it starts in our brainstem and it goes all the way down into the pelvis. It innervates our vocal cords, our hearts, and our digestive systems. When it comes out of the brainstem, it actually goes down to the heart and loops back up to the vocal cords. So I like to think of it as the nerve that allows us to speak our hearts. As it travels down the esophagus and goes through your diaphragm into your digestive system, it innervates all the muscles of your digestive system and it's involved with digestive enzyme and bile secretion. You cannot absorb vitamin B12 without your vagus nerve. And beyond the motor functions of the vagus nerve, it also mediates, I'll say it also mediates sweating and inflammation. And as a physical therapist, that was really, the, the inflammation mediating part of it was a huge reason that I ended up focusing on it. But it also gives sensory information from almost all of your organs up to your brain. So if we think about how we have a heart brain and a gut brain, that those are really neurologically driven by your vagus nerve. In the research in general, when your vagus nerve is functioning better, everything tends to be better. The range of influence that the vagus nerve has on your body is huge. How well your vagus nerve functions has predictive value for how long patients with pancreatic cancer will live. 
women with complete spinal cord injuries can achieve orgasm with vagus nerve stimulation at the cervix. In the research, they will often put an electrical stimulator on the vagus nerve. When they do that, it reverses the mitochondrial defects deep in the cells that go with heart disease. It even remaps your brain at the highest levels. Well, I know one of the things you say about the vagus nerve is that it's our portal to health, growth, and success. That's pretty incredible. It's been so much fun to develop this so much further beyond the physical body as I have in the last 10 years or so. I think it's really helpful to think of the vagus nerve as the bridge between our stories and our bodies. Trauma and stress always affect the voice and the breath. And we can relate to that because if we get startled or have a trauma, like we tend to gasp, we scream, or we can't scream, you know, there's always this relationship between the voice and the breath that expresses itself. And our vocal cords and our diaphragm are horizontally oriented in the body. I did not know that. I did not know they were horizontal. And, and why is that important to know? Well, whenever we get stressed or traumatized, rotation is the first thing we give up. So like nobody has stress or trauma and walks with really beautiful arm swing. We all lock up our trunks and bring our arms closer to our bodies. And so these horizontal structures influence rotation because they're on our transverse plane, on the plane in which we're rotating when we walk. And so are our pelvic floors. And so there's a series of horizontal structures in the body where your vagus nerve is likely to get hung up or has more potential than other places to get hung up. Those horizontal structures don't, I contextualize a lot of this around the vagus nerve because it because of the power it holds as a, an individual structure, but you're really compressing everything that goes vertically through the body. And if you can't have internal flow, you can't have external flow in your life. And, and these blockages to flow happen, I've found, for very specific reasons. There's, you can really decode this. And when we talk a lot about stress, we know that stress is 75 to 90% of all disease and dysfunction. But we don't really define what that is. Like we know that meditation and mindfulness increases the length of your telomeres and, and, and it improves your vagus nerve function too. And it has all these really beautiful physiologic effects. But we don't really think about like what is that underlying stress that's keeping us out of coherence is the term that, that the research uses, you know, between our hearts and our brains and in terms of vagus nerve coherence and, and having an optimal heart rate variability, which is the gold standard measure for the vagus nerve. In the throes of my own midlife crisis, this really became apparent to me for a couple of reasons. And feel free to stop me because I'm going to give you like kind of a long okay. <laughs> spiel here if you want to, to break this up at all. My superpower is really in helping people with those spiritual and stress-related underpinnings of their physical dysfunction. And I really love that and to see what's going on in their life that's really showing up in their body. And sometimes it can be very obvious, like neck pain patients that have the weight of the world on their shoulders or foot pain patients that are literally tripping over their lives. You know, and, and this is what I learned really through working with patients for years and years. And especially, uh, I will say very, the universe just really brought me the ones that had not found success elsewhere. And so I was constantly getting kicked out of the box and trying to figure out what was going on with them because the last three physical therapists and you know a long lineage of other practitioners, both conventional and alternative that they had seen, had not figured it out. And so, you know, I loved that detective work. So in the throes of my own midlife crisis, I had two big realizations through some reading I did. One is that mythology was a mode of communicating scientific information. So for example, 
in the ancient Egyptian myth of Isis and Osiris are the num are numbers of the Earth's processional cycle. And so the story was a way they communicated about the cosmology. They just wrote science differently than we do now. Mm -hmm. And my first question when I saw that was, oh, what's 23 and a half degrees from the midline of the body? Because the Earth's at about a 23 and a half degree tilt right now. And as a PT, my, that's just where you know, my brain works a lot of, you know, what's happening right and left and, uh, you know, how, how are things sitting relative to the midline of the body. And in all of my anatomy books, and I've had a chance to look at real skulls since, when you center a protractor on the opening where your spinal cord comes out, the opening where your vagus nerve comes out is 23 and a half degrees up from the horizon of that line. And it was very profound for me just to find that this seemed to be such a consistent measurement. From my biomechanical knowledge, I know that, you know, I could rattle off other joint values. Normal rotation be between your first and second cervical vertebrae is 47 degrees to each side. And then there's 47 degrees between the pole stars that our Earth points towards over thousands of years. And so we're literally synchronizing with the bigger picture, with the Earth. And we know through the research now that when solar and space weather disrupts the electromagnetic field of the Earth, it's measurable in our vagus nerves. Wow, is it really? I find the science of this absolutely fascinating. Not only the 23 and a half degrees, which is the same as the tilt of the Earth, but also that the vagus nerve appears to branch in Fibonacci pattern, it does. which is yeah. that thing that the solar system has. It totally does. But the solar system does. No, it really does. And we know there, I don't know the research around that on the vagus nerve, but I do know that we know coronary arteries branch in a Fibonacci pattern. And the ratio of like the bones that make up the tips of our fingers to the middle bone, to the proximal bone, to the hand bone, you know, that all of those in the length of our forearm and arm all follow that math as well like we are literally all made in that in that math and um yeah and i love how the vagus nerve starts because it starts up at the brainstem that it gets has more and more branches the digestive system is the biggest set of roots so it is closely connected to our immune system isn't it Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, you know, I don't think the research is conclusive as to, to this, but, you know, certainly in the way that, well, one, 70% of our immune systems are in our guts. And if your vagus nerve is innervating your gut and regulating a lot of the physiology in there, having a better functioning vagus nerve is going to give you a better functioning immune system. Absolutely. You know, and if patients that have better functioning vagus nerves and pancreatic cancer are the ones that live the longest, that's a big statement. It is as to the power of that it has on the immune system. So certainly as we're recording this in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, it's, you know, taking care of your vagus nerve is really critical to your immune function. And I think a really good adjunct to all the other good things that you would do for yourself in terms of eating well and taking vitamin C and vitamin D and zinc and melatonin and things like that. Right. I was just going to say there are four major ways we can take care of our vagus nerve, right? Four pillars that you talk about in your in your teachings. And you can tell us about those four pillars because I think that's extremely important for us to do. I look at it a lot from the mechanical standpoint mm -hmm. because I would contend that when we are stressed and traumatized, our vagus nerve itself is actually traumatized. And if you can take the stress and trauma 
the mechanical stress and trauma off the vagus nerve, it opens up a portal to taking the emotional and spiritual stress off of it that I find is a really beautiful accelerator or shortcut to where you're going. You absolutely have to take care of it nutritionally. If your diet's loaded with sugar, it's just going to make it harder to have a really healthy vagus nerve because of sugar's influence on inflammation in the body. You're making your vagus nerve work harder. And how important is exercise? Exercise is incredibly important because your vagus nerve uses the same neurotransmitter that your muscles do. And that's been part of my interest in it as a clinician because... For example, I can use a technique to decompress the vagus nerve at the base of the skull, and it will change how somebody's foot and ankle and knee are moving. And it's so much fun because it's sort of like a magic trick that you can treat at one place and get these really profound shifts in it in what seems like a completely unrelated part of the body. And so I really love that part of it. But in, but movement is going to up your acetylcholine because that's what your muscles are using you know, I mean, exercise is medicine, you know, their movement has incredible benefits for it. And unless you are in stage four heart failure or have some specific autoimmune things, like most people can really work out at about 70% of their max. Mm-hmm. You know, there are just a handful of very specific diagnoses that would bring it down lower than that. And so exercise is especially good medicine when it's properly dosed. And that's one of the things that that I end up walking people through a lot because they are not always dosing it ideally. And how about sleep? How important is sleep to the vagus nerve? Oh, well, sleep is important for everything, for sure. I think the the relationship with the vagus nerve and sleep is, is interesting because better vagus nerve function will give you better sleep patterns too, but better sleep patterns will also give you better vagus nerve function. And so... You know, and sometimes we can't get into that space to really calm down to get to sleep when our sympathetic systems are dominant. So your vagus nerve is the biggest component of your parasympathetic nervous system. So it's your grace under pressure, your calm, your rest and digest, and and it's pleasure. Sexual arousal is, is a largely a parasympathetic event as well. And so things that feel good are are part of that. And we're all very good at practicing feeling terrible about ourselves and our world. <laughs> We don't always take a lot of time to practice feeling good. That's true. But That is absolutely true. You know, sleep is a little bit of a, you know, I, I think it's kind of the most interesting relationship where you have to kind of finesse it a little bit because your vagus nerve has to be in a certain zone, I think, to get to sleep more easily. But like you just have, we all have to sleep. You know, sleep is incredible medicine. And so the more you can really honor your body's drive for sleep. You know, we're the only creatures that have artificial light that we can trick our brains out of our natural circadian rhythms. Well, I find it pretty fascinating that you talk about the trauma and how trauma can affect our vagus nerve. Does that even mean trauma during birth? Oh, absolutely. Vagus nerve dysfunction in infants can show up as colic and projectile vomiting. So getting the system right in an infant can make a family's life so much more pleasant than it would otherwise be because you don't have a screaming baby that's in pain. And how do you get it right in an infant? Well, I work with people both online and in person. And I want a minute, I want to circle back to the, the second part of my discovery after all those, all those angles. In an infant, there's, there's manual techniques that I do and that I can teach the parents 
to free up the vagus nerve in the infant. And uh, I don't specialize in infants, but I have treated them or I've done that a number of times over the years and treated my own children. And it's been incredible. It's an, uh, I've been very grateful for my skill set in my parenting life as well. <laughs> it comes in quite handy in terms of, you know, fixing everything from ear infections to, you know, when my, my kids are high schoolers now and they play football and helping their recovery from any kind of injuries they had associated, you know, or bumps and bruises associated with that. Birth can be really traumatic. It can cause specific dysfunctions within the spine that are similar to what happens when somebody gets a concussion. Mm hmm. You know, sometimes like in trying to be born, the baby quite literally ends up with a concussion. But, you know, because it's a baby and the skull is nice and adaptable and things like that, we don't address it that way. And there's certainly many benefits to especially to having a vaginal birth and having, you know, in terms of that has a good effect on the baby's microbiome and you know, just in terms of, you know, clearing them out of what they need to be cleared out in that process. But it sometimes those dysfunctions really stay with us well into our adult years. And I've put my hands on several people's heads and immediately asked them if they had a forceps birth, you know, if they were pulled out by forceps, because you can still feel where the forceps clamp down on the side of their head. There's still an imprint of yes. that in their heads, yes. quite literally. Sometimes you can see it visually. Yeah, absolutely. And so we do, like injuries can linger. They're, they're much older than we sometimes really think. And in terms of the stress that drives it, my first introduction to that that really helped me make sense of what I was already perceiving in my patients was reading uh, Caroline Mace's Anatomy of the Spirit. She takes you through the seven chakras and uh Seven, I, I'm probably not pronouncing this right, um, Seferotes from the Kabbalah and seven sacraments in Christianity and matches them all up, right? They say for there's more than seven, there's 10, but she matches all of them up and says, this is who we are spiritually. So like our first chakra and our legs is about our relationship with our tribe. Second chakra is our relationship with others. Our third chakra is our bellies are our relationship with ourselves. You know, fourth chakra, your heart is love. You know, fifth chakra is speaking your truth, your voice. So I would just, a number of years, I would just sort of casually ask people about what their, if they had a knee problem, like, tell me what your relationship is with, you know, people in general in your life. You know, mm -hmm. what's, you know, kind of groups are you part of or what's your, what's your role? You know, tell me about your life. You know, I would just kind of, I was always very subtle about how I brought it up because it, sometimes it required a certain amount of gauging how open to how open somebody was sure. to talking about this. Sure. What I discovered later on is that in the spirit of mythology being a mode of talking about science, that there are so many other myths that are coded into our bodies and that we can use those stories to really dig into what our stress is. And it's so important because the difference between acute, subacute pain and chronic pain is that chronic pain gets locked into our limbic systems. And that's where our emotions are. And you cannot logic yourself out of your limbic system. You need an emotional key to get out of there. And so, you know, I see a lot of people who, um, the question I usually ask them is, uh, is filling your cup draining you? They're very good at, they've got all sorts of stuff that they can do. They know lots of things to do, but they're not connecting with the feeling part of it to unlock that chronic pattern. And they're often very overwhelmed by the laundry list of things that they could do to help with that. And so the easiest way to understand this is through Western astrology, though I'll give some examples from other traditions as well. So the ventricles in the brain that make cerebral spinal fluid look very much like the ram's horns that represent Aries. And so in astrology, Aries rules the head. And your hyoid bone in your throat sits on top of your larynx 
very much like the symbol for Taurus and Taurus rules the throat. And our aortic arches in our hearts are the same shape as a symbol for Leo and Leo rules the heart. And so it works this way the whole way through the body. Uh, the brainstem and cerebellum together look very much like the Hindu deity Ganesh on the underside of our brains. And the biblical story, the Temple of the Ark of the Covenant, describes our cranial anatomy in quite a bit of detail. Athena, uh, Athena's symbol was the owl, and we have a bone that sits right behind our eyes and our optic nerves, nerves go through it called the sphenoid bone that looks like an owl. Oh, interesting. And so, like, I'm able to, you know, for somebody with, say, headaches or neck pain to say, where are your heroics at odds with your desires? Like, where is that Aries, Mars warrior kind of energy <laughs> at odds with what, with what you desire? Or, you know, are you showing up as the kind, are you being the hero in everybody else's story except your own? Are you satisfying everybody else's desires except your own? And so I find that really, really useful to getting to those underpinnings. And beyond that, I created a form of energy medicine from that, that I teach to healthcare practitioners. Well, that's interesting. Tell me about that. How can you get involved in learning from you about using your techniques in healthcare? I open the course once a year, usually around March. Mm -hmm. We go for a good three or four months of like of weekly teachings and then some integration time as well in that so that you really uh, can understand it. And if people want to connect with me over that, uh, if you go to embodyyourstar.com, that that's my opt-in that will send you a free vagus nerve decompression course. And there's a whole bunch of other goodies there as well. And there's a link to set up a meeting with me if you want to talk about being a student. Embodyyourstar.com. So, yes. so remember that three easy words, embodyyourstar.com. Dot com. Now, Melanie, I'm so interested in this whole topic. And one of the reasons is because I, I just keep thinking about how it may apply to me personally. When I was born, it was probably a traumatic birth. So I have several reasons to think that. And when I was only a few months old, like probably about uh, less than six months old, I got pneumonia and I almost died from pneumonia. And then later, I seemed to have a very poor immune system. So every time my parents would let me go outside and play as a little child, I would get sick. And so the doctor said, you just have to keep him inside. And so I was on penicillin all the time because I was constantly, yeah. constantly sick. And then when I was about six years old, someone said to my mother, oh, you should take him to a chiropractor because maybe that person can help him. And so as soon as she took me to this chiropractor, the chiropractor said, oh, you have some issues in your spine that probably were a result of a difficult birth. And I will be able to realign your spine and make this change. And then you won't have any problem with your little boy as far as, you know, his immune system and getting sick all the time. And indeed, that happened. He he just did a few treatments and then I no longer had that issue. Now, my mother told me of all the, the five boys that she gave birth to, I was the biggest and the most difficult child to give birth to. And that's why I suspect, you know, maybe it was traumatic. And when I, yeah. when I was around uh, 12, 14 years old, um, my voice didn't change. And I became this person who 
felt like I had no voice. I felt like I couldn't speak because if I did, people would either laugh, they would bully me, or, um, you know, I just, I just felt closed. I felt closed off from the world in this way. And when I was around 21, around 2021, I was at college and Again, I kept asking for help, asking for help, and and the college doctor sent me to a, a specialist, and that specialist knew immediately how to help me find my voice, and then at that point, my life completely changed because I found my true voice at that point. But how is all this related to the vagus nerve, or is it? Oh, it is. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'll say, you know, one, your vagus nerve innervates your vocal cords. So that is, you know, singing and humming are great for your exercises for your vagus nerve. But that finding our voice is really opening up our vagus nerves. And um, I think in terms of vagus function, it's very much about feeling or cultivating the sense of feeling safe and pleasurable and trusting of yourself within yourself. Uh, the trust research focuses a lot around oxytocin, which is the hormone that uh, is, gets the most press around helping mothers and new babies bond mm -hmm. because it's released with breastfeeding. Okay. But we all release oxytocin to connect. It's the it's what gives us the feeling of being connected to other people. And our hearts, which are innervated by our vagus nerves, make oxytocin. Our hearts are actually endocrine glands. Oh. They're classified as endocrine glands. And so you know, and and there's a lot of information there about trusting out about how trust works with other people, but there's not as much about how trust works with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, from that immune function, because there's definitely the physical mechanical piece of the vagus nerve and other aspects of your body and your nervous system that, that you need to be in line, just like the chiropractor did for you. Mm -hmm. That, you know, when we've been under stress, we're constantly reinforcing that we're not safe in our bodies. We're not safe in our bodies. We're not safe in our bodies. And so that just gets reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. And then we end up on the hamster wheel in our minds and we're completely disembodied. That's really what trauma does to us anyway. It shoves our energy outside of ourselves, outside of ourselves. And which is a great strategy in the acute traumatic moment. It's just not a practical long-term strategy. It's not sustainable because it, uh, when your energy is not inside of you, there's just, there are going to be consequences, you know, and a lot of times that does show up as physical pain, which is, you know, where I got the bulk of my experience with it, but it also shows up as emotional stressor and patterns. Like in, I work with entrepreneurs and in, you know, I can ask those entrepreneurs that same question about their business, like where are your heroics at odds with your desires? And because that impairs your vision. And if your business vision isn't clear, those, that triad of things between vision, heroics and desires ends up being skewed. And they are always lacking 
clear vision in their business too. And so their business, they're embodying their business. I think the only rule we ever really follow is as above, so below. You know, what I described to you about the anatomy with respect to the astrology earlier is just how the cosmos is coded into us. And the Vedas describe our anatomy as well. And there's, and I just think that's the, that's the constant story that we, I think we only write stories in that context. And the more we can realize how that story within us is living, playing out outside of us and vice versa, how that story outside of us is living in our bodies. That's where the magic of alignment really is. Melanie, can you tell us about someone that you've helped, someone that you've made a major difference for? The person I'm thinking of was a, uh, here is a, a college administrator and she had been through a couple of different physical therapists for her back pain. She had even, uh, I saw her here locally. She had even driven up to Baton Rouge, which is about an hour and a half away to get treatment up there because somebody recommended it. You know, she was not messing around. She wanted to figure out how to get mm-hmm. <laughs> better. Mm-hmm. And it presented in conventional terms, very much like a herniated disc. And it was quite debilitating for her. And I got her diaphragm back in the right position you know, through the manual techniques, the energy techniques, and the having her do some exercises. And she gets up off the table, and her first reaction is that she's kind of confused. Like, she's wrinkling her brow because she can't figure out where her pain went. She's like, this is this is hurt so many other times when I've gotten up, and now it's not hurting. So what, you know, she's looking around a little bit <laughs> confused. And then she was angry because she had, she's like, why didn't, why was it this easy? It shouldn't have been this easy to get me better. And why didn't this happen sooner? And so that's really one of my favorite reactions. That is so interesting that she was angry. Did that anger last very long? No, no. But all of the leading pain science experts will tell you that they get really excited when somebody cries or gets angry when they explain pain to them or work with their treatment because then they know they're going to get better because they're getting into that limbic system and you're releasing that the chronic pain. And I suspect that not just chronic pain lives in our limbic systems, but chronic limiting beliefs, chronic habits that, you know, because we're all emotionally attached to those things. So she just had a big emotional release. She would probably still grumble a little bit, but she has a good sense of divine order in the world too, that, you know, you always get what you, you know, when things come to you at the right time and you're ready to receive them. (laughs) So then is it true then that you can work remotely with almost anyone? Yeah. Yeah. And that's been just such a joy for me to have that different format and and figure it out and so like recently I worked with an entrepreneur who was like and she really for the purposes of making a breakthrough in her business in business terms I would say that that hip issue is where her inspiration and her structure were at odds with each other that you know and she sure enough because I picked it up energetically and I asked her that question I said tell me where you know we where you're Uh, what you're inspired to do isn't like the, you don't feel like you can do it because of some system or something that's happening. And she had a very clear answer for where she was struggling and she did have some hip pain. It wasn't enough to require medical attention or anything like that. But as we talked through it and got it sorted out in her body and in her business, then her hip pain went away in that session too. Interesting. And so we really embody this stress in these, uh, yeah, I think it's so important to capture it, you know, and address it when it's subclinical <laughs> before you end up needing to be in uh, in a medical professional's office. Not that that's, I mean, we're all here for that. 
you know, and, but the, but I think that business has a, in our public health and our schools and things like that have a real opportunity to front end this so that fewer people end up needing reactive treatment that, you know, and that, and, you know, to give people some of these tools so that they can start to figure out where you carry stress and what story you're literally living. I, uh, one of my favorite stories um, that I use in my book that I'm writing right now threads how I've lived this story, but it's the Egyptian myth of Isis and Osiris. And I'll give you just the nutshell version of okay. it. Osiris was the king of Egypt, uh -huh. and his brother Set was jealous and angry and wanted to be king. And so Set tricked Osiris into laying down in a bejeweled coffin, had his soldiers shut the lid, nail it, and carry him to the Nile River to send him downstream to his death. Osiris's wife Isis found out about this, and she retrieved his body, took him to a cave, and breathed new life into him. When Set found out about this, he was furious, and so he tracked down Osiris and chopped his body into pieces and scattered the pieces down the river. And then Isis, again, when she found out about this, she retrieved all of his pieces and brought him back to the cave. She was able to find everything except for his phallus, and for that, she made a new one. And she brought him back to life long enough to conceive their divine child, Horus, and then Osiris went on to be king of the underworld, which for the Egyptians was where all life came from and all treasures were found. And if you were close to Osiris in that story, you probably would have thought that his destiny was to be the king of Egypt. And yet his true, true destiny was to become the king of the underworld. And he literally had to be dismembered to come back together in a new way. And we use dismemberment metaphors in our language all the time. We say, we can't get it together. We're falling apart. Our lives are shattered. Our hearts are broken. And so, and that's really the gift in trauma and the opportunity in it is because you can't be the same person that you were. You know, the opportunity is to be a much more expanded version of your of yourself and to, um, you know, open the door doors to an entirely new way of being. And, you know, and I recognize as the lifelong healer, I've certainly played the role of ISIS in my life, but I've been through the Osiris wound too, where my body was falling apart and my marriage was, had, gotten unstable and I had a professional lawsuit against me and that, you know, and all at the same time, like I was literally coming apart from all sides. And, but I've also been set, you know, I've like that, uh, reactive, angry brother, you know? And so we play like, you know, when you realize that you're really all of the characters in these stories, mm -hmm. And that you have aspects of all of that, that that it just it opens up a whole new way to be. And, you know, in the way that we're human beings and not human doings, right. you know, so much of really having good vagus nerve function is being full of yourself in the best possible way. Right. 
Right. I want to ask you a question about bullying. Have you ever been bullied or did you ever bully someone? Do you have a story where mindfulness would have made a difference? Sure. Yeah. No, I was, as a young kid, I was definitely bullied and I totally relate to your story about voice because I did not, I grew up in a house where it wasn't, my parents weren't physically abusive or anything, but it just wasn't really safe to express your emotions. It was just a little more business. (laughs) I can identify with that. (laughs) With that. And so I didn't have the sense that I had a voice at home. And I will say I was a shy child and I could go back and say that maybe even very early on, I didn't trust myself. My youth choir instructor growing up, I did church choir from kindergarten through eighth grade. And I did it largely to please my parents because, and you know, and I told my mom really not very many years ago, I said, she was, she asked me if I wanted my old report cards from high school. I said, you know, I got all those A's because I was terrified of you guys. (laughs) She said, she looked at me and she said, you thought we wouldn't love you if you didn't get good grades? I said, absolutely. (laughs) That was the, you know, I don't think that's anything they ever intended to create, but that's the story I made up in my, you know, that I got in my head. Anyway, so I really was the good girl and I, you know, thought I had to do choir and the youth choir instructor used to make me mouth the words because my voice was strong, but not always perfectly up to her standards. Mm -hmm. Especially, I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., and we would sometimes perform at the Kennedy Center or do big musicals for Mm -hmm. the church. And especially if we were doing something big, I had to mouth the words. You know, and so just that reinforcement of years and years, I didn't feel like I could tell my parents because I thought I had to do choir. I didn't know that I was worth defending Mm -hmm. or that I was worth asserting or that my feelings and my desires were important in this. And I think that those situations in like, that's really, you know, in mindfulness, I think the most valuable thing, or at least one of the most valuable things you can get out of it is that self-love and self-compassion and knowing that you matter, mm-hmm. you know, you are matter <laughs> quite <Yeah>. literally yeah. <laughs> and that it's the, you know, and that plays through our language too. And so having that, um, you know, and I think just, I mean, it's hard to say cause you know, children just know you don't always have the same perspectives that you have when, you know, as an adult, Right. but I can, you know, I can look at my choir instructor now and see you know, what I know about her life since then and see where she was really suffering in her life too, you know, and Mm -hmm. she, and I gave her the role of set in my life, basically from that Isis Osiris myth, I gave her that role. And in that I've come to specialize in the nerve that innervates the vocal cords. I've had the thought that maybe I should give her a call and thank her. You know, I realized how I really created this situation of being bullied or try, you know mm-hmm. stifled to get to where I am right now which is which I love very interesting very interesting Melanie as we move forward in the interview I want to ask you five quick answer questions and sure. so just 30 second answers are perfect the first one is this who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life hmm. Dawson Church how has mindfulness affected your emotions? Oh, uh, transcended the anger. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Hmm. Um, breathing is uh, my diaphragm. I consider my personal earth. And so breathing is what grounds me. Hmm. You already suggested a book, Anatomy of the Spirit. Are there any other books that you would recommend that are related to mindfulness? Absolutely. Two of my favorites are Finding Your Way in a Wild New World by Martha Beck 
and Bliss Brain by Dawson Church. Okay, I'll put all of that into our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. The last question, can you share an app which can help with mindfulness? You know, I am not an app person, and my mindfulness practice <laughs> requires me to remove myself from all electronics. <laughs> sure, and and a lot of my guests say the same thing, but every once in a while somebody has a really great app, so. Yeah, I'm not, um, yeah, I'm not uh, an a huge app person for mindfulness type stuff. Well, you've been working with people for a long time. You have 25 mm -hmm. years of experience helping people and you've been a certified athletic trainer and you've, you've worked with aging adults. You've worked with so many different people. What words of advice would you have for our listeners right now that is related to the vagus nerve that can kind of help our listeners get on track for 2021? So one of the common compression points for the vagus nerve is on the backside of the heart. And we store inflammation on the backside of our hearts as well. And a lot of us have that tight upper back feeling just from desk work and, um, and whatnot. And if you were going to do one thing and I, uh, you know, in my online courses, I have this laid out a little bit more specifically, but I think really breathing into the backside of your heart, like inhaling to give some more space mm -hmm. right there. And as you do that, you can think of this proverb from uh, a tribe in the Andes Mountains, and they say that your future is behind you, propelling you forward, and your past is in front of you, waiting for you to make peace with it and clear your way. And to really sink into that feeling that your future has your back and it's not something that you have to go chase, you know, that you're being guided and supported and to really develop a language with your body to trust that process. And I think as we, the future right now, especially seems very uncertain and unnerving in many ways for a variety of different reasons that really just uh, breathing into the backside of your heart and knowing that your future has your back would be the one thing that I would really like everybody to carry into 2021. Thank you so much. Mindful Tribe, go to embodyyourstar.com and take that free uh, that free opportunity to learn about the vagus nerve and how it affects you. And I, I've been very fascinated to talk with you, Melanie. And thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Bruce. I am so grateful to you to, for uh, sharing your platform so I can use my voice because I get healed a little more every time I get to do things like this. So thank you. Oh, that's cool. Well, you have a great rest of your day and a wonderful 2021. Thank you. You too. Bye now. Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening, for subscribing, and for reviewing the show, and for telling your friends about Mindfulness Mode. Thanks also to Erica Flint's Cascade Hypnosis Center for being our valued sponsor. Erica is a terrific teacher of hypnosis, and I know that because I am a graduate of her program. Now, if you're a healer, a coach, a therapist, a counselor, or just someone who loves helping people. You might want to consider the powerful results that can be achieved with hypnosis. You can learn how to do it. Contact the team over at CascadeHypnosisCenter.com and take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.